Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we've been going through uh, this beautiful letter that Paul wrote to this baby church. He's facing all sorts of challenges and difficulties. Things seemed so amazing when he left. A mini revival going on. People in the synagogue coming to Christ left, right and centre. This amazing church planted. He left so encouraged. And then just months later, he got this report of all sorts of chaotic stuff going on, undermining his ministry and his reputation and all that difficult stuff. So this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verse 1 to 5, and then keep it open. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who live, who think we live by the standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's be honest, there are lots of arguments, aren't there? Lots of pretensions against the gospel. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to demolish them all and have a, an open field where we can share the good news with relevance and clarity and see amazing response? Don't you want that? Well, Paul says you can have that. There's a spiritual battle going on for your neighbourhood but actually, we can demolish all the enemy's schemes. You like the, like the sound of that? Well, let's find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 how we do that. Paul is like at this point in his ministry, as I said a minute ago, facing some biting criticism, really unfair criticism. He's just done his best in Corinth. He's left, he's done a good job, planted this church, left it in the hands of others. But these sneaky Judaizers and Gnostics have come in with all sorts of dodgy theology, but not just undermining his teaching, which is the most hurtful thing for Paul, but tr trying their best to undermine his reputation. They say that, uh, who is this guy who's so quiet and humble when he's with us, but he writes these authoritative letters, you know, telling you all off, telling you how to live. Where does that kind of authority come from? I love the thought that Paul wasn't a very good preacher. He was apparently the kind of guy, you know, who would preach. And in Acts, it says he went on and on until everybody fell to sleep. Well, not everybody, certainly one little guy who fell out the window as Paul went on and on into the evening. Paul says, I didn't come to you with eloquent words. I mean, history tells us he was a little man with a bald head, unattractive, hooked nose. You know, nothing about him as a personality apart from the anointing of God was on his life. He was clearly a great mind with an incredible ability to write. But in person, not very impressive. Apollos was impressive. Peter the Rock was impressive. But Paul wasn't impressive. But who's the guy who's made the greatest impact on world history? It's Paul, the guy who was privileged to write over half the New Testament. Anyway, he was getting a load of criticism. You know, who is this guy? Look at all these great preachers. He's not very impressive. He writes all these, you know, authoritative letters claiming to be apostle. 
And then they started to chip away and say, and I wonder about that offering, you know, that offering for the, uh, the church in Jerusalem, for the poor. Well, has he really handed that over? How harsh is that? Chip, chip, chip away at his reputation and his authority, these nasty Gnostics and these jealous Judaizers having a go at him. I mean, it's horrible stuff, that, isn't it? And it, it stirs up the flesh unless we're truly pressed into Jesus. But Paul was truly pressed into Jesus. And he realised that opposition, not just the big opposition, the stonings and the beatings and the shipwrecks, the nakedness and the hunger, but the little chippy, annoying oppositions. I, I was coming into work and um, I, I just, for some reason, I had this anxiety going on in my head and my heart. Have you ever read that? And I, I came into this room and I, I said, let's pray together, brother, with, you know, somebody who you'd all know is like one of our legends of the message. So let's pray together, brother. And you know what he said? He said, pray for me because I just feel anxious and I don't know why. I'm like, so do I. <laughs> pray for me. And uh, sometimes that can be a downright demonic attack. Sometimes we're just weird and need to just get over ourselves. But Satan can come in with that chipping away, chipping away at the things we believe, chipping away at who we are, chipping away at the things we know are of the Lord. And Paul knew it in abundance. We're surrounded by so much rubbish. And we kind of, our brand of Christianity, we're kind of up for it, charismatic, lively worship, you know, great whatever video screens and bands. We kind of expect secretly, don't we, to live a charmed life. We do. We imagine, you know, what will happen is stuff will go wrong. We'll pray. We'll be back as the man of power for the hour. Wasn't Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony was it's a flipping battle all the way. It's a struggle all the way. But we keep going by the inward power of Christ. And in James chapter 1, it says, Don't be surprised when various trials come your way as if something strange were happening. We're surprised, aren't we? You know, when various trials come our way, we're surprised. Surely that's not meant to happen. I'm a child of God. I'm meant to be living my most blessed life now. No, you're not. hundred years from now is when I'm living my most blessed life. But right now, I'm meant to expect a right royal battle because I've given my life to Jesus and because I have a ferocious, ferocious enemy who constantly wants to take me out. And the more I choose to live on the cutting edge of God's purposes, the more ferocious his attacks come in the big picture, but also in the little, annoying, sneaky, worldly air. Paul in, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 lists, and we'll be there maybe next week or, or next time I do this or the time after. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists all these frightening lists of stuff that's come his way. I mean, he had a special call on his life to show the world what it's like to suffer and overcome. So he lists it all. In fact, he boasts about his suffering. He is a sure sign I'm on the right path. Because I've been beaten with rods and stoned and rejected and, you know, and I've been whipped with the, with the 39 lashes three times, shipwrecked, uh, left outside the city for dead. It's all there, you know, horrendous. One man's been through all that. And then there's this little verse where he says, besides everything else, I faced the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. So every day, Paul felt pressure. 
don't think it's wrong to feel pressure as a Christian. Just feel pressure about the right stuff. Just get, you know, we need to feel a right sense of pressure. Oh, we so want these ex-offenders to keep going. We so want the church of Jesus to honour him. We so want the name. I feel a sense of pressure, daily pressure. We've got to get this job done. Time is short. Do you get me? Paul had that thing. The worst thing for Paul. Way worse than beatings with rods and shipwrecks and nakedness and hunger and all that. The worst thing was Corinth. I feel pressure that they're going off track. They're starting to believe dodgy theology. They're not holding the course. They're not lifting up Jesus the way they should. They're not a great representative for him. They've got all this weird teaching, taking them back to Judaism. Why would you even want to do that when you've got the freedom and grace of Christ? And it did Paul's head in, and it was the hardest thing. And that's why he wrote this letter. The Judaizers and the Gnostics are undermining his gospel criticising not just his ministry but his personality the worst pressure of all they were going so well and now it had come to this well, Paul could spot a demonic attack when he saw one and he was also wise enough to know how to deal with the demonic attack how to fight Jesus way it is very important we are I believe and I've believed this for the last 40 years but I believe it more than ever we're on the cusp of something truly amazing. If you're in this room for our prayer day yesterday, you could sniff it. God, we are living our dreams here. The dreams of the quantity of salvation and the quality of salvation that we've been dreaming about. We're on the cusp of something quite extraordinary. I truly believe it. If we can just hold the course. But Satan is after us. Satan knew what went on in this room. He heard the stories. He was backing off because of the prayers, I believe. And he saw a people who were up for it, whatever it costs. Many of us, um, probably everybody in this room, uh, was aware of what happened at the Oscars night before last. Uh, this happened. If you're watching this a few days later, and we all, and when we saw it in the morning at first, we thought, oh, well, that's staged as if that's real. But actually, it was real. Chris Rock took the mickey out of Will Smith's wife and he smacked him around the face and effed them blind in front of the Oscars. And it's the, you know, it took over more important than the war in Ukraine or the, the famine in Afghanistan is, you know, Will Smith smacking Chris Rock at the Oscars. But there was something, as I read about that last night, something a lot deeper going on here I think because anybody read Will Smith's autobiography Will Smith grew up in a home that was ruled by fear and force his dad was an angry violent man and there was domestic abuse and in, right at the start of his autobiography he says I'll never forget the moment I first saw age nine my dad smacked my mum in the face and there was blood everywhere and I sat there in fear and this is what Will Smith said and this is actually what was going on at the Oscars. He said, that moment in that bedroom has probably more than any other moment defined who I am today. Everything has been a subtle string of apologies to my mother for my inaction on that day, for letting her down in that moment, for being too much of a coward. That's what was going on at the Oscars, wasn't it? That's, it makes sense, doesn't it? That little boy 
trying to stand up. Never again will I see any violence against somebody I love. I'm going to be the guy who smacks people in the face who do that to me. But you know what, Will? You're just going to go down, down, down by that way. Whatever you think. And there's a, ma- you know, there's a massive disagreement, even amongst Christians. Some are like, stick it up for your wife. Well done, Will. Some are like, violence, that's not the way. And all that mess of it. Whatever. One thing's for sure. If we play the devil's way, we're going to get the devil's results. And did you hear what? Denzel Washington whispered in Denzel Washington, who's a Christian, he whispered in Will Smith's ear, in your highest moments, be careful, that's when the devil comes for you. And people were like, oh, it's awful, he's calling Chris Rock the devil. I thought he took it quite well, really, considering somebody just smacked him in the face. No, Denzel Washington's a Christian. And he's saying, watch out, Will, in your highest moments, when you're on the front row of the Oscars, about to get the best Oscar actor. You know, be careful, Christian, in other words, in your highest moments, just when you're on the profile, just when you're thinking, hey, here we are, the message, the revival movement. If you could have seen 250 people in this room, wow, and that started in my mate's spare bedroom. Ooh. Watch out, because the devil will come to get you. And you'll find yourself operating in his territory. And his territory is violence. His territory is allowing your past to divine your future. You know, so many people, so many Christians are so messed up because of the messed up broken homes they grew up in. We see it all the time, don't we? And they refer to type. But actually, I was speaking over a guy on Sunday, a guy who, who's got saved out of addiction and brokenness and pain and inevitably terrible background. I'm like, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Live in that. Live the life of peace, not the life of violence, the old man life. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that was the only way to get the job done. Even if you're hurt, Defending yourself and sticking up for yourself never works. Even if worse, of course, worse than somebody offending me or somebody offending my wife, I get it. But that old man way, that way of violence, way of anger, that never works. All it does is stir up more violence. The old Saul when the Judaizers and the Gnostics were chipping in and criticising him and undermining him, lying about him, unfair, the old soul would have struck back because that's who he was. He was a man who breathed murderous threats, but the new born again Paul knew the way of the gospel, the way of the cross was the only way to fight spiritually. The way to fight Jesus' way is the way of humility and gentleness and opposite spirit. That's why he says, I came to you by the humility and gentleness of Christ. The only possible way we can truly be humble, gentle people is by Christ. We're not that way naturally, are we? Naturally, we prickle, right? We fight for our rights, we push, we jostle, but only by the gentleness of Christ. Paul had people accusing him of betraying Judaism and being a false teacher. He responded with humility and gentleness. And Paul had people accusing him of stealing the offering that was given for the poor. How hurtful is that? Humility and gentleness. Making out you're bold in your letters, but you're such a wimp, so timid face to face. Look at you. Humility and gentleness. But what a legacy. 
Why the legacy? Why was he able to fight this fight and come through stuff that would take other people out? Surely, when you see his list of sufferings, surely he's just trying to serve Jesus. How did he keep going? Because he knew how to fight. We need to know how to fight Jesus' way. There is a battle on, a ferocious battle. If only we could see what's going on around us. We live our little lives with our head down. There's a spiritual battle, spiritual forces in the evil realm. They're out to take you out, out to take this ministry out, out to stop the purposes of God. If we could see it, we'd fight the way Paul did because Paul fought the way Jesus did. And there was three things we need to do if we're going to win life's battles. And it's very, very important we do. Massively important. More important than any of us realise. The first thing Paul knew as he looked to fight this spiritual battle that was going on against him, spiritual battle in the heavenly realm, looking to take him out, take this ministry out, was he knew his goal. Paul knew the goal of his life was to honour Christ, whatever that looked like. The goal of his life was to build Christ's kingdom Whatever the personal cost or reputational cost, it was to build Jesus' kingdom. He'd, he'd settled it. The die had been cast. For me to live is Christ, the die is gain. Honestly, what is the goal of your life? Paul knew very well what his goal was. What is the goal of your life? Aren't we encouraged to set five-year goals? Maybe that's a good thing. Only if we've prayed about them. Only if we've sought the Lord. Only if we've got some counsel. We're encouraged in this, you know, entitlement culture. It's all about me culture. You need a five-year goal for your life. You need a 10-year goal for your life. You know what I want to say to you this morning, men and women? How about a 100-year goal for your life? How about what's going to be left of your life in a 100 years' time? Is there going to be a legacy of kingdom activity? Is heaven going to be populated? Are you going to be with people and you've invested in them? That's really the only thing that counts. It doesn't really matter whether I've got more profile and prestige and a bigger pay packet or a better pension in five or ten years' time, does it? Unless I've made a mark in eternity. Do you get me? We need to know what our goal is if we're going to succeed in spiritual warfare. Settle it in our hearts. Know what our goal is. The second thing we need to know is we need to know what our sphere is. Interesting. It struck me a little bit later on in this passage. I didn't read it all. He says, we have, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we'll confine ourselves to boasting to the sphere of service God has us himself assigned to us. A sphere that also includes you. It is really important that we fight the right battles in the right way, in the right places, in the right sphere. He knew he had authority over the Corinthians and he knew how to use it. He knew how to fight all this opposition. He knew how important it was to serve quietly and, and with humility and prayer and watch God move in his sphere of service and he could confidently expect God to turn it round. Horrible thing in the Christian life is operating out of your sphere, pushing yourself forward and trying to get more profile, trying to get a bigger sphere of influence. Don't do that whatever you do. Paul knew that God had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the Corinthians. No matter how weak he felt, it'd be so great 
if Christians knew what your sphere is, where you're meant to be operating, where you're meant to be exerting authority and where you're not. It would, you know, when a promotion comes uh, in your job or in your church or where, whatever that you've been looking for, it's great to go, yes, please, come on, at last they've recognised me. You know what we should do? We should go into that with fear and trembling. We should really just seek the Lord. Does the Lord want me to have that next level of authority? Because with it will definitely come the next level of attack. Does he really want me to do that? Is that the place I can serve him the best? And I'm glad Aaron's here this morning, actually, from London. Because I did appreciate when me and Sam approached Aaron about leading the work in London, it was obvious that Aaron was the guy. But it, it was a, quite an arm up the back job to get him to accept it. And he's like, I'm like, I'm offering you your dream, boy. Look at London for Jesus. Look at the message. Look at all the resources. And he's like, no, I need to go away. I need to pray. I need to read the word. I need to seek some counsel. I'm not sure. I don't want to step out, you know, out of this more junior role into this more senior role unless I've really got the stamp of God. Wow, if more Christians did that, wouldn't it be a game changer? If we, whenever a promotion comes in effect, whenever a great responsibility, we pray and we fast and we get into the word and we get Christian counsel, it would change the game. Because whatever you do, don't operate out of your sphere. And I believe as you're faithful in one sphere, the Lord will often give you more and more responsibility where you can operate. But do not throw authority around in a place where you haven't got a sphere of influence. You don't know what's going on in that situation. Know your sphere. Finally, know the weapons you're to use to defeat every one of the enemy's schemes. What were the weapons that Paul had recognized in this spiritual battle for his ministry? Humility and gentleness and prayer. Fight the angry devil. In his own way, we always lose. He's bigger and stronger than us. Fight the devil in Jesus' way. He doesn't know what to do. Because suddenly, one who is way bigger than him is on our side. If we fight it in the flesh, we're always going to lose. Fight it in the spirit with opposite spirit, humility and gentleness. Help us to win the war for Manchester with humility and gentleness and service and Opposite spirit. I, I had a leader who really, really wound me up last week. Me and Gary met her. Christian leader in Manchester. And she said, well, my problem is we don't even preach the same gospel. And I was like, I wanted to go, who do you think you are? <laughs> what kind of gospel do you preach? <laughs> but I just felt the need to say, oh, I'm really sad you'd say that. I'm really sorry. You know, let's whatever, like reach out, eh, 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 all that stuff. Because I know if I'd gone with the flesh and said, right, let's have a bit of an argument about what the gospel is then. What do you think the gospel is? Here's what I think the gospel is. Rah, rah, rah. Broken relationships. She goes off, oh, Andy Hawthorne. Rah, 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 rah. But the opposite spirit, the healing balm, the humility and the gentleness and then backing up with prayer, God turns it all round for his glory and for the good of his church. You see, Jesus beautifully, perfectly modelled this for us, didn't it? Some would say, what a pathetic thing to do when you're as busy as we are. You've got schools queuing up to 
have your bands in. You've got prisons wide open to the gospel. You've got community groceries up and down the country who are, you know, short-staffed this, this day because there's 250 people spending the whole day in prayer and worship. But I'm telling you, that was the most significant day of our month. Are they just singing nice songs with a good band and speaking into thin air? Or are we exerting spiritual warfare? Is the devil fleeing? Is the devil terrified about a scruffy bunch of people in a room crying out to God for breakthrough? I tell you what, I believe the latter. Do you agree with me? The devil is terrified of our prayer. He laughs at our work, mocks our toil, pours scorn on all our efforts, but trembles when we pray, as Leonard Ravenhill said, and the devil was trembling yesterday, but he pours scorn on so many of our efforts. Our posture and our prayers are more important than we ever know. Look what Jesus did as he faced the ultimate spiritual attack, the greatest spiritual attack in history. He knew exactly what was to come in John chapter 13. What did he do? He knew exactly what was going on. He knew the cross was coming. He knew the torture. He knew the accusations. Fascinating that Jesus kept silent before every accusation. Just took the role of a servant. Didn't get up. How dare you say that? Smack. That's not our Jesus. Just quietly took it. Because he knows Satan doesn't know what to do with that. Humble service. And there's this amazing scripture, isn't there? In John chapter 13, the last meal with his disciples before he's arrested. And he knew exactly what was going on. And this amazing scripture that says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All of the universe is under this man's power. That he'd come from God, that security, he knew what his history was, and that he was returning to God. That's his future. Utterly secure, utterly centred man, the most powerful man who'd ever lived in the history of the universe. There he is. So, the Bible says, he took off his robe, put a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. In that place of complete power, complete authority, complete centredness, he took the role of a servant and then he said, and now you see me do it, you do it. That's how we're going to beat Satan in these days. Satan thinks he's about to win. He's going to nail me to a cross. I'm going to go to, through hell itself, but I'm going to rise victorious because I'm not fighting Satan's way. I'm fighting the kingdom way. Do you get me? And what was the next thing he did? After he'd taken on the role of a servant, unbelievable humility, he passionately prayed. He prayed for himself. He prayed for the disciples. And he prayed for us. And at the end of the prayer, minutes before he's arrested and tried and tortured and executed before he rose from the dead, he says this, I've made you known to them and will continue to in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. It's like the job's done. Father, the job's done. I've made myself known to them and look at me look at the servant look at the humility of Jesus I've made me I've made myself known to them so you can be known to them that the love you have for me can be in them and that I myself may be in them imagine 
if we truly knew the love of the Father the way Jesus wants us to, if his love was truly demonstrated, demons would be fleeing all over the place because they just don't know what to do in that territory of opposite spirit, serving, kindness, prayer, blessing one another, going over and above. Just, I love it when people walk into our groceries and it happens all the time, every day. It's like, wow, what's different about this place? Every time people get a brush with Christians, they should get a brush with Jesus and they're like, what's different about you? Lord, help us to be those different spirit people, opposite spirit people, not trying to fight Satan in Satan's territory, but fight him your kingdom way. Do you like the sound of it? Let's stand together and just commit ourselves to that. Yes, Jesus, I pray that this will not just be words on a page, but we'll live this wonderful Jesus life. We're aware there's a ferocious battle going on. We don't look forward to it, but we're up for it, Jesus, because we know you win. And ultimately, fighting your battle, your way is all that really counts. Help us to be people of your word and people of prayer, people of humility and service and kindness. Turn every plan of the enemy round for the good of your world and the glory of your name. Be the centre, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.